And when I approach someone, it's never transactional. It's never with an ask. There are ways to actually start to build a relationship and you need to really work on that relationship for a long time before you ever dare to ask for anything. And if anything, you need to give before you ever take. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. This is the last of my monthly sessions with uh, Ruth Gottian and Luca Signoretti, apart from one special that I'll tell you about a little bit later. Uh, but I've decided that from next year, we're going to change things around a little bit with the Connected Leadership Podcast. And one of those changes is I'll probably invite Ruth and Luca back on occasion, but we won't be doing a regular monthly podcast. And Ruth is uh, my guest today. Uh, you will have heard me uh, discuss a number of issues with Ruth over the last couple of months. But I coined a new phrase in the last few days, and that phrase is the Gottian sphere. Uh, a lot of the guests that you hear on the Connected Leadership Podcast, a lot of people who have come into my network over the last couple of years, particularly those in the States, have come as a result of my connection with Ruth. Ruth is incredibly generous with her, her network. She introduces people to each other left, right and center. It's something that I try to do as well. But Ruth is a pure master of this. The, her generosity is tremendous. And I thought that's what we could explore today, the Gottian sphere, uh, the, this world of people who all have Ruth Gottian in common. And, and, and you know, I say that slightly tongue in cheek, though I mean everything that I say. Uh, but I want to explore with Ruth why she takes that approach, why I try to take that approach as well, when others are much more uh, considered might be the term, uh, but certainly protective of who they introduce to their networks. Let's explore, you know, just what it takes for Ruth to open up, uh, whether it's just a question of building trust and opening the floodgates or there's something more to it. And is there is there a valid approach in being very protective and very careful about who you introduce to each other? So that's our focus of our conversation today. Uh, and the only person to have that uh, conversation with is the, the person who sits on top of the Gottian sphere world. Uh, and that's my good friend, uh, Ruth Gottian. Ruth, thank you very much for oh, joining my me. Goodness, I was muted as you did that. And I'm laughing hysterically. And I'm the only one here. I've been <laughs> called a lot of things. Gottian sphere. I don't know that I've ever been tagged with that, with that line, but I kind of loved it. Yeah, well, it's, well, I'm not calling you the Gautian Sphere. I'm calling the world you create. All the, uh, I, I had I had two conversations in the last uh, couple of weeks that I've shared with you, uh, and um, in one case we talked about uh, how the person who introduced us and how I knew her, uh, Jen Snow, who's been a guest on um, the Connected Leadership Podcast, and Jen is equally generous with with her phenomenal network and has introduced a number of fantastic uh, people to me have become friends as well and uh you were you were the the, the person who in a, 
who indirectly introduced me to Jen because we were both on your Monday Night Mentor Project uh, show together and we connected through that. Um, and then again, and then the person I was talking to had also been on the Mentor Project Monday Night Show. And then my guest a couple of weeks ago, in fact, last week, Mark Hirschberg, uh, then recommended other guests for my podcast and you were in that list. And I, I said... <laughs> um, this is the Gaussian sphere in action. Uh, and <laughs> I always talk, it's quite interesting because we both live in two of the most vibrant and the best known and the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. You're, you're in New York, I'm just outside London. And I very much consider myself a Londoner. And, and what struck me about London, certainly over the course of my career and New York to a large degree, I've, I've been to New York, I've had meetings there. Um, but since we met, uh, is they're both small. Yeah. Once you knew, know a few key people, the amount of overlap in networks is phenomenal in cities of that size. Um, yes. And uh, you're one of the hubs in New York. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> a hub. And, and now I'm thinking some of your previous guests that you've also had, the astronaut Dr. Charlie Camarda yeah. and yep. the original Jamaican bobsledder, Devin, Devin Harris. Harris. Yep. Yeah, that's from our overlapping worlds. Yeah. And it's so true. It's, it's the network is really what's so fabulous, but these networks, these people have become close friends. And at the end of the day, the people who I would recommend are people who I know, like, and trust. And I recommend them to people who I know, like, and trust. So if some random stranger reaches out to me, because they know I study extreme high achievers, and they say, Oh, can you introduce me to one of the Nobel Prize winners that you work with. Well, no, I don't even know you. I'm not giving you somebody's email. But if I know you and I know them, and I happen to know that you're looking for a certain type of guest, I can ask the other person, would you be willing to do this? And if they say yes, make the connection. So there's certain people that for certain things like uh, like podcasts that I know people are looking to host a certain kind of person and they have given me this blanket permission to introduce them to certain types of people, then I don't need to ask automatically. I make those kinds of introductions, but some, for some people I actually have to ask first, but this is, I only do it with people who I know, like, and trust, not some random person I just met on a zoom meeting. And that's such an important element of it as well, isn't it? Because then when you make that connection, the person you're introduced or the people you're introducing to each other trust each other because of Correct. what I, I call it associated trust because yes. we trust you uh, and, and therefore that transfers. And it, you know, it reminds me, I've had Dr. Ivan Meisner on the podcast and, and Ivan and I have worked together on a number of projects in the past. We co-hosted the global networking show for a couple of years. He's been interviewed for a couple of my books uh, and Ivan, I've, he shared the story with me and I've heard it, him share it elsewhere where people know that he knows Richard Branson. He's been a, a, a guest on Necker Island uh, on multiple occasions. He's just announced that he's flying off into space with Richard Branson as well. Uh, and people have come up to, to Ivan and said, could you introduce me to Richard Branson? It's just people in the audience at a conference he's spoken at. I wouldn't ask Ivan for an introduction to Richard Branson and I get on well with him. It would have to be such a compelling reason. So I think there's so many factors that go into this. And I wondered, as I said it, I wondered how you were responding to my introduction before I before I brought you onto the show, because I said that 
I almost painted it as if you don't have any thought behind it, but you clearly do. So you talked about no like and trust. Let, let's look at that. We we didn't know each other that well, but I think we clicked very quickly when we had our yeah. initial conversation. So how would you define each of those stages? So I think that the no like and trust, look, I know a lot of people. I don't know them well enough to have an opinion whether I like them or not. I just know them for who they are or what they do. When you take it a step deeper, you actually begin to form an opinion. I like this person. This is a good person. We share the same values. We share the same similar goals. We have the same type of work ethic, whatever it is. And then would you trust this person? Would you trust this person to not give away your information or stories that you've shared in confidence, right? At the end of the day, you need to be able to trust that person with whatever it is that you told them. When you're able to do that, people will very, very willingly share their information with you. And when I approach someone, it's never transactional. It's never with an ask. There are ways to actually start to build a relationship and you need to really work on that relationship for a long time before you ever dare to ask for anything. And if anything, you need to give before you ever take. So if we're having a conversation, you and I, and you're telling me, I created this this podcast is called Connected Leadership. It's based on my book. I want to bring in these big thought leaders. Then I could say, because I know like and trust you, I could say, well, Andy, I work with extreme high achievers. Would you be interested in introductions to any of the astronauts or Olympians or Nobel Prize winners I work with? But we built that relationship before I ever offered that because I knew that I could know, like, and trust you. And I saw that you are a man of your word and that you actually have something that's real quality in what you're doing, you're not just rambling. There's actually a teaching component to it, a sharing component, a learning component. And I really got behind what you're doing, which I think really has a lot to do with those shared values and the ability to work together. So you always want to give more than you ever take and that you have to give first before you ever even think of asking for anything. You're reminding me of uh, the the episode that I recorded with another mutual friend, although this time I think through different sources, uh, Dory Clark. And and we, I I talked to Dory around the time of the publication recently of her book, The Long Game. And Dory talked about waiting a year within a relationship before you ask for anything. She'll never ask for anything within the first year of something. And again, with Dory, who's very well known, very well respected in high demand, I'm always very, very sensitive. And, and she has supported me. You know, mm-hmm. Dory's endorsement is on the front cover of um, uh, Just Ask. I say that we, she we endorsed know, my book too. She endorsed <laughs> your book. And, and, and funnily enough, I, I say that uh, our relationships with Dory are separate, but actually it was because Dory posted about connected leadership, the book on LinkedIn that you sought me out in the first case. So that's that associated trust again, uh, that that, that stimulated your interest. Um, So that the long game is, is very much the key phrase here to a degree, because here's the thing. I think that, as I said earlier, we clicked very quickly 
And I have a model, as you know, of the seven stages of professional relationship, where you go from uh, recognizing someone into no like and trust before you become a supporter, advocate, and then friend. I would very much say we've gone through all seven of those stages. I count you as a friend very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I don't think with some people that will take a decade because they are so hard to break down the barriers. I remember in particular, I have a, 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 someone who's a good friend. Uh, he's uh, he's never been a direct client, but he's definitely been a champion for me and brought me into where he's worked. Uh, a, a guy called Thomas Freeman, uh, who I know occasionally listens to this. So I thought I'd give him a shout out. And I always think about Thomas when um when I talk about this topic about the speed of a relationship building, because Thomas saw me present when he was a partner at, um, I think it was a director at uh, BDO, the the accountants and consultancy firm. And uh, Thomas came over to me and said, can I buy you lunch and find out how I can refer you? Just like that. And we sat down and I was very much like you, but I'm not going to ask for anything, but Thomas really pushed the point in that lunch. But, he bought into what I was doing so quickly and I bought into his enthusiasm because there are people who are, who have been on networking training where the trainer tells them the best way to build relationships is to help other people, which is great in spirit. But when you take it too literally, what happens is you meet people for the first time, wherever it is. And the first thing they say is, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And my response is always, well, you don't know me. Exactly. how can you want to help me at this stage genuinely other than as yeah. a lawyer tactic without sounding too cynical? Um, but Thomas, you saw straight away that there, there was an energy a natural yeah. enthusiasm and a connection uh, to what I did and what I delivered and the way I delivered it that meant that this was a genuine offer. Love it. Um, so I think there is something about it can take a long time, but sometimes it's much quicker. How much do you rely on your gut instinct, your intuition oh, when it comes to this? So often I'm pretty good at reading people. And um, I, I definitely value my judgment of whether, you know, are you kind of slimy or are you a good person? But it really goes back to if this person was referred to me by somebody who I know I can trust. I'm much more likely going to really hear them out and talk to them and really start building that relationship. But I will tell you that something that really quickens a relationship is shared misery. Yes. And, um, and I've seen this, especially during the pandemic that we've all been a part of. There's a leadership think tank that we're both a part of. And one of the members of that group Dr. Susan Burnstone, she in April, one month in said, I can't take this anymore. I really need to socialize with people. I'm opening up a Zoom room. We can talk about anything except the pandemic. And that's how it started. And that group has been meeting every Saturday night since then, since April, 2020, plus additional times, right? Now, granted, this is US time, East Coast time. So it's too late for you in the UK. But that shared misery of we were all feeling trapped. We all wanted to feel connected with other people that really bonded the group very, very quickly. And that group is so incredibly diverse. I don't think there are two people who do the same thing there. We have an astrophysicist, we have psychologists, we have engineers, we have uh, people like me who study high achievers, we have change agents. I mean, they're 
the group is so diverse, but we learn from each other. And learning from each other really helps us to make connections. And because we've been meeting consistently, and that's part of it, is that consistency shared and grounded in that shared misery of what the hell is happening to our world, that really got us very close. And there have been some really strong collaborations that have come out of that group. First of all, friendships that I think I could call you in the middle of the night kind of friendship and you'll come running over. Um, for people that I haven't yet met in real life, but it also has created, um, uh, some of us have collaborated on papers, collaborated on grants, collaborated on some business opportunities. So it really started to grow from, uh, and it started with a shared misery. And I'm I'm feeling I'm missing out here because I probably know quite a lot of people in that group. You you know, I think everyone there. (laughs) Because they're in the Gaussian sphere. Uh, (laughs) um, But yes, unfortunately, that'll be about three o'clock in the morning, uh, our time. So say hello from me this weekend. Um, I will. But um, that, that, that collaboration where the mask slips off this goes so much to my work on just ask and vulnerability and vulnerable leadership that's where you deepen relationships and and two things spring to mind on this Uh, i've I've had a meeting uh last week where we're looking i'm looking with with some other uh, partners to run some mastermind sessions for an organization we're all members of and basically i had delivered a talk on just ask for that community uh, or in fact, on vulnerable leadership for that community. It's all chief execs and chair, chairman. And the topic of masterminding came up and people said, could we do that? And a few people said, well, actually, we have got experience. So we got that together. And one person said that the reason they joined the call today was because when we talked about it, she thought that's what I'm lacking because I don't. She, she's got networks everywhere but where she's based in the UK. And she has memories of networks we've both been in before where that very strong connection has come from masterminding. So she could see the power of masterminding to bring people closer together. For those of those, for, for, for people listening who haven't come across the term masterminding, it's effectively peer group mentoring. If you reach out to me, I can send you uh, some information on it happily. Um, but it, it, it's where you get together as a small group, share your challenges and really dig deep. And, and it's important in those scenarios to let the mask drop and be yourself and be truthful and authentic and vulnerable yeah. so that people can really help you. And when that mask drops, connection becomes easier, uh, which goes to your point, uh, yes. Ruth. The, 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 the second thing that connects to that is some research I quoted in Just Ask from uh, Harvard Business School where they looked at the impact on an audience of a speaker, whether or not they shared their failings when they presented their successes. And they looked at the impact on what they called uh, on two types of envy. So there was uh, malicious envy, which is exactly as it sounds. I don't like this person. I want them to fail. And there's benign envy, which is I want to be like that person. And they found that where people only presented their successes, malicious envy was high. When people shared the same successes, but shared where they had stumbled along the way, then benign envy was high. So I think that what you're seeing is that 
if you have an environment where exactly the same people and, and I love your Monday night show and it's hard for, I mean, people in the U S look for Ruth's mentor project show 8 PM every Monday, Eastern time. If you're in the UK, you can catch it on YouTube. You can catch it on catch up. I think it's a podcast now as well, isn't it? From the mentor Spelled. project. Yep. So you can still catch it on, on, um, after the event. I was going to say catch it on catch up, but that's far too <laughs> far too uh, catchy a sentence. Um, but but if we take that, I, I really enjoy that. But what you have is a group of people who are all battling each other to get a word in, and they're all presenting the best of themselves. Uh, you know, and I don't say this meanly because I've been one of them on several occasions. But let look at my expertise. Look at what I can add to the contribution. It all comes from. It all comes from a genuine and positive place, but unless the topic really drives it, they're not showing their failings. They're showing their expertise. Where those same people are getting together on your Saturday night calls, I think that they would be, without having been there, a totally different dynamic. And that's where your connection is coming from. So I know those people, but I won't have the same level of connection from being on the Monday calls because of the dynamic. So true. So true. But you know, to be that vulnerable takes a lot of trust and that trust took consistency of showing up. So the Saturday night calls, it was very interesting because I could be in sweats all day, but before that Saturday night show, at least from the waist up, I was wearing a business casual attire. My hair was done. I actually put on makeup. I, I was presentable. And that was it week in and week out midway through, we were so used to seeing each other that people started coming in sweats onto, right? It's closed and, you know, we weren't recording. It It was just for us. One person had COVID and was even reaching out from her bed (laughs) in her pajamas, but we became that close to each other, which, which I think is really, is really what, what helped make that really helped make that happen. So you're right. Have you subscribed to the Connected Leadership Podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode? For more resources from Andy, including a regular tips newsletter, videos, blogs, and more podcasts, please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights. Let's look at another part of it uh, that that people struggle with because we're talking about this, this, the levels of trust that allow you to open up your network to other people. And a lot of people, myself included, to a large degree, would feel that the ability to meet in person drives that trust a lot more easily than meeting virtually. But having said that, we have this great level of trust and this great friendship. I'm wearing a rugby shirt while we do this. I haven't put any makeup on either. Um, (laughs) uh, But we've never met in person. I, I, I spoke last week for... Uh, a networking group of the great and good in San Francisco at the invitation of Susan Rowan, who wrote um, How to Work a Room 30 years ago, coined the phrase. Susan has been a, a guest on the podcast. She's become a good friend of mine. We've never met in person. And I would say that there are a number of people in the Gottian sphere, JJ Snow, we've mentioned, who I would count as friends and I've never met in person. So yeah. is it a fallacy to say you have to be? And by the way, I'm itching to get to New York just to see <laughs> you, just to see you guys. Um, I, you know, no, no commercial reason to go, no holiday reason to go. I just want to meet this, this wonderful you want to collection meet people of people in real life. Yeah. But, so- but what's the degree? 
And is it a fallacy or is there are there elements where real life makes a difference for you? I think pre-COVID, we would have said we have to meet in person. I think we have all become accustomed to these virtual connections. And in fact, when I interview these extreme high achievers, these Olympians and astronauts, I always ask if they know someone else who might be interested in having this discussion with me, right? I don't ask who can you introduce me to? Yeah. Do you know someone else? And they'll say, yeah, you know, John, Jane, whoever. And I'll say, well, then I will say, do you know them well enough that you would feel comfortable introducing? Do you want to ask them first and, and let me know? Um, and the reason I do that is because, and these are people I haven't met yet in person. This was all virtual. I haven't been turned down yet because I have spent that time connecting with them. And I, I tell them up front, and it's all virtual. And I tell them in the email up front, I don't want to know what I can Google about you. I'm not, I, I can Google, I don't need to have this conversation if that's what we're doing. It. So there's actually a goal to why I'm, I'm connecting with them. I said, I want to know what it took to get to make you Googleable, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's a new word. What did it take to get there? And that's the, the failures and the vulnerabilities that you mentioned earlier that nobody asked them about. They just want to know about their NBA championships and their work on the International Space Station and what it was like to get the Nobel Prize. Nobody wants to hear about the decades of work it took to get there. Well, I'm interested in that. That's what I want to hear about. And it turns out a lot of people are really interested in that and nobody ever asked them. And I say to them, I'm not here to paint you in a bad light. I am not a tabloid magazine. And, you know, there's they can Google my work and Forbes or psychology today, and they can see the types of pieces that I write. And it's really there with a learning lens. What can we learn from this experience? And when they see that and, and they trust me enough, they start recommending me to other people as well. And that's how I got to, you know, one after the other, one Olympian introduces me to another Olympian introduces me to another Olympian and same with the astronauts. Um, and the, the Nobel laureates as well. But I now have this proof, you could see all of the things I've published that shows how I use this information. I am not writing a tabloid piece. And that, that really helps provide the proof that I am really doing this with a positive lens, a good lens, and it's all done virtually. And some of these people, trust me, they have become really, really, really good friends. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things I want to pick up from what you said, but just on that point about how you engage in the conversation. When I interviewed Charlie Kamada, um, as regular listeners will know, there's two episodes with every guest, uh, other than there have been with our, our monthly shows. Uh, and and there's the longer episode where we focus on a theme, and with Charles, we talked about his career. And then there's the, the shorter episode where we focus on professional relationships. And actually, I think the most, uh, the most resonant moment in the conversation with Charlie came not in the one about his amazing career and his amazing story and the involvement of Challenger and so forth. It came in the one about his professional relationships where he talked about uh, telling his daughter how he... Uh, was going to have to move to to pursue this dream and he broke down uh, doing it and we've edited that you know Charlie and I went through afterwards what he was comfortable with me sharing and uh, and, and what he wasn't and and I referenced that in in the introduction 
Um, but it was such a moving moment. And sometimes it's not that. And then I did this and then I did that. It's that hidden bit that you right. unveil with certain questions. And and Charlie's another one where I would, you know, he's asked me advice on several times. I can reach out to him at any time. And there's That's a right. connection there. And I think it's so powerful that we've reached that very quickly. And it, it probably is because of the nature of it's the nature of the conversation we had on your show because yeah. that's what allowed me to reach out and say hey we think alike do you want to come on my show and then it's the conversations we had from there um i wanted to pick out a couple of things from from, from what you said uh, you said that the question you use is do you know anyone else who might be interested in having this conversation with me what you've done is you've turned the request into yeah. one about the other person not about you and I think that's yeah. incredibly powerful. It has to be done in an authentic way. Uh, and it has to be meant, which is part of being in an authentic yeah. way. Uh, but I think that that makes it a lot easier for people. And the other, which I would have suggested if you hadn't mentioned it yourself, is to say, do you want to have a chat with them first? Which is what I always do. Uh, because yeah. I, I would rather they were comfortable enough that they know without feeling yeah. under pressure. And I don't want anyone introduced to me who doesn't want to talk to me because that puts both exactly. of us in an awkward situation and doesn't reflect well on the person making the introduction. And these are the, just the smallest elements that go into giving people the confidence to introduce you and open up their network if they know how you will handle it. Yes. But, so let me ask you this. I, I've just um, ended a domestic arrangement where I've been paying for, for a service for, for seven years because I referred them and there were a number of reasons where their service fell flat and I didn't feel valued but a key one was I referred them and they didn't follow up properly they never really acknowledged it and they've never given me any feedback or thank you I'm not looking for a financial thank you I'm not looking even for a card but a little note saying thank you we appreciate it this is what's happened none of that and I thought well you know what you don't appreciate me clearly why am I paying you every month on a direct debit yeah. uh, when you have this abundant mentality uh, abundant yet based on a strong foundation of trust yeah have you been bitten in the bum has it come back and and, and bit you and you've been let down and, and what impact did that have on you short term and long term um yes that's happened quite a bit where I have referred people. I have promoted their work extensively. And then when I asked for an introduction, mm -hmm. these are people who I know, like, and trust, they didn't even respond to the email or the follow-up. And my feeling is if that's the way it's going to be, I am not asking again. I'm also likely not referring you to other people. And as you heard, my network is quite big. So there is, there is power in that. Um, so at the end, I think it's more their loss than it is my gain. Um, and the older I get, the more I realize, you know, it used to really sting at the beginning because I used to take it as I'm not good enough. But now, now I'm, I'm of the age and of the mint where I'm like Teflon, it just rolls right off of me and I just go on to the next one because they're not paying rent, they are not taking up real estate in my head. Yeah. 
And just to clarify, you're not seeing it as a quid pro quo. You'd be quite happy if you never had to ask them for something to support them. But when you do need something, it would be nice if they at least acknowledged it. Yeah. And, you know, it was really interesting. It was somebody who um, was speaking at a conference. And all I asked was, uh, do you know who the conference planner is? Yeah. I mean, that's really all I asked for the name. So it's, I'm not sending a generic email to, you know, um, that was really all I asked. So there are going to be people listening to this. And I I alluded to this at the beginning who, uh, uh, who are more protective of their network and they're very, Mm -hmm. very careful about who they open up to. And when you share stories like that, they're, they're going, yes, see, that's why. and, And so forth what's your view about the validity of that protective approach to your network? And what would you say to someone who's more reserved about opening it up to others? So Andy, I interview a lot of astronauts, including our mutual friend, Dr. Charlie Camarda, and they have assured me that the world is big enough for all of us. And if that's the case with permission, you need to be able to share your network when appropriate, if it helps the other person meet a specific goal, not I'm going to introduce you to Richard Branson so that you can, you know, become a fan and just look at him googly eyed, but there's actually a reason. There's a reason that has to do with shared interest. Um, And it's really interesting. Sometimes you have to take the first step. So there, I do a lot of work in the, the mentoring space and there was somebody who does a lot of research in that space. And I've, always been an enormous fan of her work. And we've had some overlap, but we never had the opportunity to be in the same room at the same time on the same Zoom or or collaborate in any way, as odd as it sounds. And then she wrote a paper with some collaborators and she referenced one of my papers. And I was so excited because I'm a big fan of her work, but she misspelled my name. So it's an honest mistake. Cause you know, you're looking at things over and over again, you just don't see it anymore. But I decided this is my name. I have to at least reach out. And that was really my catalyst for reaching out and saying, I read your paper. I think it's amazing. I love the points you made about blah, blah, blah. Um, thank you so much for referencing. Mind asking the editor if they could just correct the spelling of my name, the correct spelling is so-and-so that typo actually gave me permission to reach out to her. There was a specific reason. It wasn't just, I'm a fan of your work, right? That's, that's not helpful, right? But to say something very specific. And then she said, I'm so glad you reached out because I'm a fan of your work. Well, that led us to a Zoom conversation. That Zoom conversation was the first time I got to see her personality. That's when we really, really connected. And that actually led to a collaborative paper in Nature, which is a big scientific journal, which then led us to Nature reaching out to us to interview us for their podcast, which is a pretty big deal. And that led us to two big presentations together. That never would have happened if I didn't have, if I didn't reach out to her, but I never felt I could reach out to her without a specific reason. Because if I didn't know her, I can't just say, do you want to collaborate? I I can't collaborate with people I don't know. But here was the reason that ignited that conversation. The collaboration didn't happen until we actually had some conversations first and we can get to know 
like, and trust each other. And like you, that relationship was formed very quickly. I think it's important to stress that I would encourage people to reach out and tell people if they appreciate their work. Uh, yeah. Not with the expectation of a response and building a relationship, but just because it's a good thing to do. And I mean, I've certainly been in that place, and I'm sure you have as well, where you get unsolicited, unexpected uh, mentions or, or people reaching out. You know, I had one last week, simple one, someone just sharing my newsletter and saying, I've really enjoyed this uh, yeah. and, and I recommend it. Um but don't always expect that to turn into something. And particularly if, and I'm not talking necessarily about that one, but if you wouldn't consider yourself at peer level. So for example, if I reached out to Matthew McConaughey and say, I love your films, I'm not expecting to say, great, let's get on a, a on a Skype. But if you start engaging with that person on a, on an intelligent basis, on a regular, you talked about consistency a couple of times, yep. consistent basis without stalking Correct. And, and, re <laughs> and relevant basis, then you can start to build a connection, but it has to be thoughtful. It has to be, uh, it has to add value. So yes. I don't think you always need to have that hook, but yep. you need to be able to be consistent and add value. Um, but certainly start out by just saying, hey, I love what you do, because yes. no one can ever hear that enough. Let's be honest. It, well, I have to tell you, as an author like mm. you, hearing that feedback really is helpful because when we write, it just sort of goes out to the void. We have yeah. no idea if people like it or not. And if we get that engagement, that actually triggers something for me. That tells me this really resonated. I need to write more about this. People are hungry for this topic. And that's that's what I do all the time. So those engagements actually drive the types of pieces that I write. Completely. And sometimes yeah. I quote those people in the articles. And, and, yeah, and the, the, the podcast is a great example of that because the podcast is exactly the same. It goes out into a void and you get occasional reviews and I nag for reviews, but I don't get as many as I would maybe like. But then people reach out and say, um, or even in passing, they'll say, yeah, I'm listening every week. And it's just that that keeps me going. That's, that's happened twice in the last few days. And it just, every time I think, is this worth the time, the effort that, that goes into it? And I know it is anyway, um, but you want to know that it's resonating, that it's making a difference. And every time someone yeah. says something, it does. So please, you know, to anyone listening, reach out and let people know when you appreciate their work because it will make a difference to them. And I don't do it enough. I, I have reached out to authors I enjoy, not enough. And, uh, uh, and I don't always hear back. That's fine. It's the, the act of reaching out that's important. Uh, so Ruth, you've mentioned you're an author. Um, you've got a book coming out in the new I year. Do. We're going to get you back on to talk about that specifically. Um, but uh, it's already available for pre-order. Pre so tell us a bit about the book uh, and what people can expect from it. Thank you, Andy. And it just made my day when you, without any prompting, posted it on your LinkedIn. And you are a powerful person because you drove the pre-sales in the UK. My goodness. Uh, the book is called The Success Factor. And it really talks about how people achieved great success, how they maintained it, and how the rest of us can get it. And this is based on my research and interviews with some of the most successful people of our generation, including Nobel Prize winners, astronauts, Olympic champions, um, 
Fortune 500 CEOs, senior government officials. I mean, juicy stuff in there that's that you don't you can't really Google about them. So it's called the success factor and wherever you buy books, it's available. Brilliant. So that's the success factor by Ruth Gautier. I don't often do big plugs for books, but I think your work is is fantastic. Not that the work of other guests hasn't been, but I just think it's fair. You've you've given so much to this podcast, both in terms of your time and introductions, that it's fair to let everyone know. And and oh, uh, I'm, I'm I've got my order in already, and I'm looking forward to to reading. Uh, the success factor when it comes out ruth thank you so much for doing this and i've really appreciated your time it won't as we've said it won't be the last time you'll be on the connected leadership podcast but it's been a pleasure to have you on as a regular guest thank you very much i am so excited thank you and by the way the book actually references your 24 7 30 model which you know i use quite a bit so thanks for having me thank you ruth so thanks again to ruth as i said that's the last regular bi-monthly call with ruth Having said that, I don't want to just let Ruth and Lucas slip away into the night. So what I thought we would do, I'm going to take a break over Christmas uh, and we'll finish this year's series of the Connected Leadership podcast with a session, I think off the top of my head, it's the 6th of December. It'll be the first Monday in December with a conversation with both Ruth and Luca. So it's the Lapartosphere, new word. And um, I'm going to be introducing them to each other because they don't know each other. So I'll uh, be getting them both onto a call together. We'll we'll have Ruth back on to talk about the book in more detail in the new year. In the meantime, I hope that that conversation has inspired you to open up your network and make some introductions because invest in those relationships so that if you need the support of your network, they will be more than happy to help you. So once you get back in, if you're out and about driving or jogging or walking while you listen, just think to yourself, who can I introduce to someone else without any thought of what's in it for me and make an introduction that will change someone's world. And that will be a great impact for the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.